navy blue of Victoria. As he uses his feet and goes again through mid-wicket. That's an even better shot from the Victorian captain. Swept away very nicely by Nicole Bottom for four. Oh, he's re-given! That is 50. The man from Northcote. And welcome to the latest edition of the Vic State Cricket Podcast. I'm Adam White and we are in for a very special half hour or so. We've got uh, spin twins. What sort of spin twins? We've got John Holland from the Victorian State team at the moment. And then our very special guest is Fawad Ahmed. So really looking forward to chatting to Fawad about his career for Victoria, his career for Australia, his career for his 28 or 30 teams that he's played with over the journey, but also how it came to pass that he bowled a leg spin and how well he bowled it. But firstly, John Holland, welcome. Thanks for having me. Finally, we've got you on. It's good. Yeah, good to be invited. Unfortunately, though, we can't talk about you playing the last year game that uh, finished last week. It was uh, it was a draw. Victoria, you'd almost call it a winning draw. They were probably uh, the more dominant team once you got through the four days. But um, what were your thoughts before we work out where you're at at the moment? Yeah, definitely. I think um, same as the previous game. I think we've been playing pretty good cricket. Um, the wickets probably haven't deteriorated like we would have thought on both games, which has been unfortunate. I think um, we've been in a winning position both games and had the uh, the game there ready to win and we just haven't been able to capitalise on on good positions and, and take 10 wickets on the final day. The headline act was obviously the, the partnership between Pete Hanscom and also Sammy Harper, particularly Pete to score 281 not out. Um, I know you sort of saw most of it through the through the four days. Have you ever seen Pete bat as well as he's batting at the moment? You've played a lot of cricket with him. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think that Pete's, you know, Got to still be in line for Australia call up. Um, I said before the season that if he, you know, starts the summer really well, he's definitely got to be a, a chance there in the in the Australian summer, but definitely to go to India um, later in the in the season. So um, look, I think he's batting beautifully. He's confident, and um, you can really tell in the nets and that that he's he's hitting the middle of the bat consistently, and and he's really confident in, in where his game's at, which is is really good to see. Rwanda Kalapotha got his debut cap for Victoria. Um, it, it's a tough initiation to go out and play against the, the Shield champions. How did you think he went? Yeah, I think he did did really well. Um, you know, obviously league spin's very difficult and to be coming off, you know, the two COVID seasons where he hasn't played much red ball cricket, if any, I think. So um, to go out there and, and have to, to wheel away a few overs on, on a flat pitch, I think he did really well. And what about Todd Murphy who had to, with you out of the side, had to sort of take on the, the leadership role. He bought a lot of overs. And they kind of tried to go after him, I think, initially, but he sort of took that barrage and then got, sort of got into his work. Yeah, I think bowling out there on, on day one's no easy task for a spinner, especially a, a finger spinner. I think Toddy's, you know, he's a great talent. Every time he's come out and played for Victoria, he's done extremely well. So, you know, it was exciting to see him go out there and, and probably be the, you know, the main spinner and the number one spinner and, and bowl really well and claw his way back into the game. Um, they're good players to spin, especially on a flat wicket like that, and they did look to attack him. And I think the way he just stuck at it and, and kept going to to what he knew and and then to come out with three wickets in the first inning, I think it's a great effort. Now, where are you at? Because there is a suggestion you've done both calves. <laughs> I'm not sure that's actually possible. The only thing, I, the only person I can think of that did that was Adam Trelaw when he did both hamstrings running down the wing at the MCG. Yeah, I was probably running as fast as him too when I did it. <laughs> what? What uh, has happened? Oh, I'm not sure. Look, I'd, I'd felt the right one go when I was batting and you know, one of my worst fears is, is going off the ground and not taking part of the match and having a scan and nothing showing up. So... I spoke to Nico, the physio, and I got him to you know, strap it up and 
I kept playing and then I woke up one morning, I could hardly walk and I said, I think I've done the other one as well and it turned out that I did. So, you now it's a bit unfortunate. Everyone I've spoken to keeps telling me it's an old man's injury, so maybe it's telling me something. Well, the most important thing is when are you going to be back? Because you've got an important season ahead. You yeah. talk about Pete Hanscom going to India. I'm sure that's something that's still very much on your radar. Where, where are you at? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking to play the Queensland game. So I think we go down to Tassie this week and play them in a Shield game and then hopefully I'll be back for the next one. That's the aim anyway. And I don't think I'll, I'll rush trying to get back, but it'd be nice to get back and play some cricket. All right, fingers crossed. Now, Farwood Ahmed, he's our special guest. Before we introduce Farwood, what was what was something that you remember of Farwood that, that sort of sticks in your mind? There's so much to unpack, I know, but you got to bowl <sighs> a bit together um, over the time. Uh, yeah, Fuzz was an amazing bowler. Um, his control that he had as well as putting so much revs on the ball as a leg spinner was, was amazing. So, you know, it was always good playing with another spinner as well. It took a bit of pressure off you. You knew that there was two of them out there instead of being the only the only one to win the game on the on the final day. So I think, you know, playing with Fuzz was, you know, it's, you know it was great. Um, one memory that really stands out is when he walked out to bat without his bat. That was probably one of the one of the highlights of of playing with Fuzz. And I think everyone really enjoyed that. Well, let's bring you in, Farwood. He, he sort of gave you a wrap and then a bit of a, a cliff on the way through. We might as well start with that. What happened that day? <laughs> Welcome. Uh, thank you. Thanks, Doc. Uh, thanks for having me here. Um, it's nice to see Doc as well. So uh, good good memories. Uh, great reminder as well. Uh, actually, I was, I think, uh, Bolo and... Whitey was batting for a long time and I was going to bat next and it was a long partnership. I think they saved the game as well. Was it was that game or was against it against New South? Yeah, it, no, no, that was against WA, WA. playing, yeah. But I think they were batting for a long time and I was there and was just playing with my cricket bat and <laughs> yes, cleaning up and I cut my thumb and then asked Nico to tap it up. So he tapped that one up and then suddenly the wicket fall and I was rushing get uh, to the for batting. So I usually do put my bat in my armpit and then wear the gloves and then I get in. So what I have done wrong that I put my one glove in because I was a little bit more careful to put my thumb in the glove and then I got the second glove. So the armpit was failing. There is something. So no cricket bat. <laughs> it, was a, it was a batting glove. And then... When I wore the next one, and then I said, oh, no. And then when I had a look back, especially uh, John Hastings was there. <laughs> he was laughing, and I said, oh, fuzz. And then I knew that there's cameras there as well. And as soon as I came back, uh, I bet I think, well, that I was I was hanging, uh, hanging there for a while, and then I came back. It was all on social media. I was tagged by cricket.com.au as well, and... It was unbelievable, yeah. <laughs> I think it was a half a million views in, in, in a couple of days or something. Yeah. You're trending. <laughs> You're yeah, trending. I want to go all the way back. Now, you grew up in, what, northwest Pakistan. Tell us about what that was like, your, your childhood and growing up and, and playing cricket. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, it's a nice part of the, of the world and of the country as well. We're not from far from Himalaya, so it's very beautiful Uh Oh, people might know now because of the current floods, we have the most glaciers uh, after Arctic. So it's unreal. People think it's going to be desert or, you know, there is nothing there. So Pakistan got the most 
uh, glaciers in the world. And uh, it's uh, some of the places, some of the areas that are like in snow, uh, 12 months a year as well. Uh, it's amazing. It's beautiful. Uh, yeah, come as a childhood, got two older brothers. So yeah, I'm playing a lot of backyard cricket and different sports. It was back in the days in, in especially early 90s, mid 90s, you know, when when I was in the school and playing, we, we played during the season different games. So like in winter was mostly hockey. Field hockey was very famous. Um, Pakistan, I think, won the World Cup in 1994 here in Australia and they lost the grand final in 1990. So, and by that time, Pakistan already won four World Cups. So, uh, and then in 1992, Cricket World Cup as well. So there was a massive clash yeah. between field hockey and cricket as well. So people, and hockey's a little bit, not a little bit, a lot cheaper. Then you get a one stick and that one ball and that's it. So, and but cricket was pretty expensive as well. Uh, so, and you need a big ground. So we used to play mm-hmm. hockey like that is, we get like those community center everywhere and they got like a bigger backyards and so we used to play over there as well, hockey. So and badminton as well, volleyball as well. But again, cricket became very famous after 1992 World Cup winning, and then the next World Cup was in Pakistan. So, and we were in the school, and yeah, there was massive hype there. You know, World Cup is coming to Pakistan for the f- was before in 1987, but very young. I uh, don't remember anything of that, but. Yeah, 1996, and then after that, we we'll just kept playing, and yeah. Um, so amazing. you're playing all the time, like at school, after school, um, you know, was it half-tape tennis balls, like, you know, we grew up doing in, in the backyard and those sorts of things? How? Just just tape tennis. Uh, yeah. we, I have played cricket with a cricket ball when I, was, when I went to college, so there was no cricket gear, no cricket ground, no school cricket either, so I just played hockey. Uh, in school yep. and then played, start playing cricket when I went to college. So it's a different system. So we finish at year 16 and then we go, when we turn 17, we go to college and then we start uh, two years in college and then four years in, in uni. So this, then I think that's where I start playing cricket. And then from there I start playing club cricket and then under 19 and those ones there. So who were your heroes growing up? Who did you want to be when you were Deciding on a, on a career path towards playing cricket. Honestly, it, even that time, uh, Shane Wan was emerging and then that's the first time when I saw him when he came to Pakistan to, to play uh, World Cup. And uh, that's, that's, that's the, I think, when I remember the first time, especially when playing the grand final and the semi-final. Um, there was semi-final, I think, was in India. Uh, was against West Indies. Yep. Or, and then, yeah, the grand final against Sri Lanka. In Lahore, but watching on the telly, yeah, that's this the I think that's how far I remember uh, watching Shane one, and from there just how old that's been. And yeah, there was Mushtaq Ahmed there as well. Uh, Afridi came through that year as well, but they're completely different, you know. Uh, all the leg spinner from that era, they replicate Shane one, you know, everywhere around the world. I think so. So he was one of the best in the history. So try to walk really slow and try to explore in the crease and try to put a lot of raves on the board. And I was actually the only one in my whole kind of a district uh, to bowl leg spin with a tape tennis ball. It was unreal. So I think I was the only one spinner in around 1.2 million population. And there was like 
hundreds of team but no one bowled because we play on the concrete and tap tennis mm-hmm. it was hard to spin and i was the only bowler who can bowl leg spin yeah used to bat and just keep some time but then when i start bowling leg spin with tap tennis i was kept bowling yeah wow wow yeah. how did you get into bowling spin john what was what made oh, you i used to bowl the seam up when i was a kid and then <clears> it was just <throat> hot one day at train i couldn't be bothered running in so <laughs> i started throwing down a few few spinners and stuck with it Completely different to Fuzz's story. But. Yeah, that's right. So when did you get to a point where you thought, I'd do this all right? Uh, I was uh, under 14s, the hatch competition yep. down at Moorabbin Hatch. Uh, coach Dave Longhurst. Yep. He um, he was. That's where I started bowling him and he said maybe stick with that. And I played that year with two other spinners, Nate Allen, who was a very good leg spin bowler, and Josh Mangan, who played first-class cricket as well. So mm. sort of stuck at it. Probably do a good thing. Yeah, good move, I think. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. So, Fawad, that was your upbringing in, in northwest Pakistan and then coming to Australia. I, I know you've told the story many times, but to our audience, explain the decision initially to, to come out to Australia and and I guess the risk of doing that, the leaving your family, all those sorts of things. I can't imagine the thoughts that would have been going through your mind at the time. Yeah, tough, very tough at that time because I was uh, – I was young and I was playing really well. I played, uh, I think, uh, 10 games that year, uh, first, first class, class game, games, and yeah. I bowled really well. And I was taking wickets as well, so, and would have been a chance to play the next level over there as well. So I was up and running in the radar as well. I was the part of the, at, at one stage, one under-19 team as well, part of the, the group of the Pakistan team in 30 players as well. So, yeah, that would have been... Uh, yeah, the story at that time, but yeah, the, unfortunately, uh, the things were going really bad uh, back in in my areas, especially with the with the terrorism. It was tough. Uh, I know it was it was extremely tough at that time. You know, that was when, especially the Afghan war was on on a really peak. You know, and a lot of things since two thousand, I think seven when. The former uh, Prime Minister of Pakistan, Benazir Bhutto, was assassinated. After that, it was pretty bad, and there was like, oh, like it was, it was kind of a war zone. So we we literally on the border of Afghanistan. I'm not far, maybe eighty kilometers, uh, eighty or eighty-five kilometers from actual border, and the border is fourteen hundred kilometer long. It's in the mountains as well, and so it's not easy to protect that you know the people just we we uh, in british india so there was back in 1890 they leased our state from the from the afghanistan so the british government and we were part of the afghanistan so even now in my nationality in pakistan i still write as an afghan afghan but pakistani so we speak the same language so when i speak to rashid khan or nabi so we have the same culture, same language, everything similar, but we live in Pakistan. So we became the part of Pakistan when Pakistan came into being in 1947 with India. So that really close to Afghanistan and it was complete wars. I don't remember the, the Soviet war, but I heard from my, my, my elders that there was like uh, uh, international forces there and ammos there and jet plans and it was same again the same things was happening repeating itself and 
yeah, massive than the terrorist and everything just got mixed, you know. Uh, at that time, people came from Afghanistan going in and out and you don't know. And then we got that Kalashnikov culture and uh, film culture and heroin all the way from, from the Afghanistan as well. So, yeah, with law and order, it was pretty bad. It was tough. Uh, I need to find a right place. And it was a tough decision. I still, like I felt it because my mom passed away two years ago. It was in covid she was still, she's still young, 67 year old, not too old. And yeah, I I just missed out on her last 10, 15, 10, 12 years, you know, because I've been living here and I applied for her visa as well. Uh, it took a lot of time. And by the time we got COVID and she never came. And then she passed away in November, 2020. And I'm missing that because I left the country, uh, what I've said, I've lied, but then she, I was, I'm the youngest, so. She missed me all these these years. So I got married three, four years ago, and I thought it's about time that I can bring her over. She can spend some time with me. It was hard for me because when I was single, uh, playing a lot of cricket throughout the world, you know, and she definitely needed someone to look after. So I thought it's the right time now. I got married now, and my wife can look after her when I'm away playing cricket. But it's just never happened, you know. Some of the things you just can't control. So it was tough decision at that time as well, and I still feel it now. And I'm pretty happy here. Uh, it's an amazing place. I call it home. Went to MCG last night and it was some uh, people watching cricket, but it was a lot of good memories, you know, playing first time there and playing with, with Duck and all the Vicks boys over there, you know, throughout those years. And uh, I felt it really um, uh, very humble to call it home as well, you know. It was amazing stage last night, you know. Uh, but... Again, it was a tough decision to move, uh, leaving uh, your country and, and your family. It's not easy living here for a long period by myself, you know. I felt it all the time, especially winning Shield, playing for Australia, getting citizenship. And I couldn't share it with my family because there was no one here. So taking a cab from the airport and going to the empty home, it wasn't a nice, wasn't a nice feeling. At, at times, but it is what it is. You know, you can't have everything in life. That's that's the story of, I think, every person, you know. You're always missing something. And I, I was missing family. So I know it was tough to share, especially my success or or just my lifestyle, you know, whatever it is. So, so, so when you, um, you come out in 2010, you made the decision on your own, so no brothers, no family at all to tell... I guess share that experience. You're, you're picking fruit uh, in country yeah. Victoria. Um, so what what did you bring with you when you came? Nothing. I I couldn't see any light. Uh, I thought yeah, I'm going through the tunnel. It's dark, and I just said let's jump. Uh, language barrier, culture barrier. I heard a lot of Australia, knew all the cities and states, and about shield cricket, about the greats of the cricket. Couldn't even uh, differentiate between footy and rugby. I thought it's rugby, but then people told me it's, it's footy. <laughs> went to went to the Collingwood and uh, Bulldogs games, and my friend was wearing Bulldogs jumper, and they got smashed. And we got bullied big time from Collingwood fans, and then I turned to be a Collingwood fan. So <laughs> it was funny, uh, but yeah, it was tough. I got my. First ride on the train, I got the ticket because I got the wrong ticket. 
And I told them, I don't know anything. I got the passport, was scaring. I was scared because I said, look, this is my visa. I'm legal here. And they said, no, you, you, should, you should do your research and, you know, everything. So you should know what tickets you need to get. And I got $75 fine at my first try. So I went on thing at that time was zone two something. I got the zone one ticket or something. So, yeah, it was, it was tough in the start. So uh, just literally getting off the plane. And what was the plan? Was there any plan at all or was it just no, I work was it out when you get here? Friend of a friend of a friend and he picked me, uh, yep. a student uh, from the airport. I thought spent a week or two with him and then I would find my own place. Was uh, not bad with computer. Uh, went on the gum tree, find a room, uh, shared with another person, all strangers, and then trying to find a job, find someone. He was a, a contractor uh, with fruit picking at the Bendigo. And that was bloody hard in cold winter. It was weird for me as well because June and July, that's summer in Pakistan and couldn't yeah, accept it because it's June, it's cold and it's short days. <laughs> I said, what's going on? You know, it was very weird, you know? And then two and a half hours drive from each side. So going to going on the train to Water Garden Station from there, there was a couple of more guys. They were doing the fruit picking. They picked me up pay them 10 bucks to give me a ride, you know, and back and forth. And then eight hours fruit picking in cold and wet. It was the wettest season, you know, in, in Victoria for a long time. After a long time, there was a drought before for 10, 15 years. And, yeah, it was tough for a couple of months, but I planned myself. So I said, look, this is for food, this is for uh, rent, and this is for other expenses. And then I said, look, I will find a job somewhere around so I can save those five hours. Five of so I was leaving four thirty in the morning in winter and coming back seven thirty eight. My roommate used to turn on some alarm like it was some song and I get still nightmares from that song <laughs> if I hear that song. <laughs> Seriously. Like four thirty AM you just went to bed like around 9 p.m. and then four thirty it's ringing again. I said, Oh my word, what <laughs> where I am now? There was no cricket, no plans, nothing. I said, what am I going to do? And then asking everyone because I didn't know anything. Then someone told me, you know, then applying for the visa or, you know, the, also applying for the asylum. And there was a long story. There was one uh, lawyer, she in Yaraville, she was charging like, I think, 200 bucks for an hour. And it was so expensive, you know. So what stuff? But I was, uh, honestly, I never worked before. I played cricket there in Pakistan, a little bit just teaching, uh, just for fun. But again, I was, I thought I'm I'm young, I'm strong, I can do hard work. So I went on the hard work, you know, I, I have done a lot of labor job, you know, for the next two years, like in, in um, fertilizer company, fencing company, then came out warehouse. Uh, and I was doing a lot of labor job, like physical job. So I took it in a different way because then I started playing cricket for Hoppers Crossing and was bowling to these guys to vex in the nets. And I thought, I don't have any time. It could be the only thing that I can get stronger, do physical work. So I took it that way. Yeah. So I do a lot of physical work so you get stronger while you're working as well. And then I find my way to bowl to vex, train with Melbourne Uni and train with Hope was crossing as well. Now, I'm dying for you to tell the story <laughs> about how Victoria found you. But 
and I'm <clears> interested in John's ears and that we the, I reckon you might have been around at, at that time as well. There's a great story I want you to share. But just the Hoppers Crossing experience, a sub-district cricket club now, but it wasn't at the time. It's the same club that Stuart Broad played at, uh, Hoppers Crossing. How did how did you find Hoppers Crossing? And you clearly made a good impression because you took so many wickets straight away and you sort of that got your cricket rolling. It was it was amazing because when I, I went to the North Melbourne Cricket Club first training yep. session, uh, I don't remember where it was, but somewhere around in the West. And then one of the guys who used to play for Hoppers Crossing, then he moved to North Melbourne. He played there for 10 years. And then he was going back to his home club, uh, Trinside, and he was going to be a captain as well, coach as well. And I went there for training session and he saw me said, would you like to play for us? And I said, where? He said, Hoppers Crossing. They were not even playing in the senior division, I think North Division 2 or something in Hoppers, uh, in VTCA. And I said, okay, I didn't even know what's great cricket, what's <laughs> like VTCA, what is subbies. And I said, he said, well, I said, I need, I need a job. He said, we will find you a job. We will give you some cash as well. Um, he, I think it was, um, three and a half thousand dollars for the season. And uh, I said, look, I'm, I'm not fussy about the money. I need a job. I need a good job. So I where I can work and then I'll play cricket. He says, okay, come. And then I went there. There was the Hopes Crossing here. So then I find out Stuart Rod played there, I think 2005? Yeah. I think that, five yeah. or six something, five, six season. Yeah. As so opening batsman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I heard he was pretty good. I think he played all the junior cricket as a batter. Yeah, he did. That's yeah. what I heard. So, and then... Yeah, he started boarding, doing really doing good jobs. Well. Yeah. Five so you, plus wickets. So you, played, <laughs> you played Hobbit's Crossing, you, as I said, you take a truckload of wickets. Now, you're also doing a little bit of coaching on the side and you're at the MCG and you see the Victorians training. And you're just in your trousers and a shirt and, I don't know, some <laughs> leather shoes. You're certainly not there to play cricket. And you go up to Simon Helmet and say, can I have a bowl to the Victorians? Is that... Is that pretty much how the story goes? Yeah, so I done my level one and I thought, look, it's about time. I might be not able to play cricket here. You know, I don't know how it was. I heard a lot of a lot about Australian cricket. It's pretty tough, six teams only. And I, but I never even thought, like, forget about six teams or it's tough, whatever. I thought I'm not going to be playing cricket anymore. I'm done. So let's find a good life, safe life, support my family, support myself, and let's go. It's a new chance. Well, uh, you you hardly get second chance in your life. And I thought I, I will grab it with both hands. And then I said, look, I will go and do my level two. So I can be still related to do something, you know, like to find a better life, even in Australia. So I went to get my forklift license as well at that time and trying to get make it easier for rather picking fruits, you know, throughout my life. So, um, yes, was one day uh, was here at the uh, not here sorry at the MCG and uh, we went to see they said we were gonna go and watch the Vicks boys the Bush Rangers by that time um, training session and I just I don't I'm I'm not that um, brave enough you know and I just went to Simon and I said can I bowl and he looked up there he was sitting down and he said what do you do and I said um, I bowl spin he says what I said I bowl leg spin. And that was, I think, I didn't even play any cricket for a long time because that was in June or July and the summer was finishing in February and March and in three, four months, no cricket whatsoever. Uh, thanks to uh, Bobby 
<laughs> Bobby Coyne, he was batting. I didn't even know he's there. I thought he's, he's a fast bowler because tall and big, you know. I bowled first ball and it spun big, went through the gate. I thought, let's bowl a googly next one. So I bowled a googly. He went this way and went the other way. When I had a look, where so everyone was watching. And then from there, it just went on. And Shippy asked me, can you bowl for the next few minutes? And then I bowled for the next hour, left the coaching session. Uh, I was very sore that time. And then Shippy and Helmo was keep asking me to come and bowl to us. And then I think he was struggling with shoulder yeah, injury. Yeah, but injury they, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he was struggling as well. And there, I think there was no spinner. No spinner. There, no spinner. And it was just the right time, you know. I was getting there. And then the next season when I played for, um, for Hope's Crossing, that's the season where I took almost five wickets in every single inning. And then I played T20 for Melbourne Uni as well. So you can play as a guest player. And I bowled really well for Melbourne Uni as well. In my, I think first game was pretty good. Went four, four, eight, something in four hours. And then from there, they when I got my residency, so I was straight in. So I'm going to flip it around now, John. You're at training. This bloke with chinos and a shirt, leather shoes, uh, asked to bowl from up in the viewing area. This is something that happens in dreams. I dream this sort of stuff all the time. Um, what are you thinking? Oh, it was amazing. I just remember like everyone was sort of at the back, especially at the MCG when you had the net and you could walk past. And I just remember all the boys watching and blokes coming in from bat and saying, geez, who is this bloke? Like he was bamboozling everyone. Even the, And then the tail would come in. You'd watch them bowl to like the, the bowlers and they couldn't hit it. And it was it really was an amazing thing that was happening. And then all of a sudden, like the rest is history. Like Johnny McWhorter was chairman of selectors, I think, and Fuzz was in. And, yeah, it was just it's a great story, really. It is. So were you nervous? Did you think this is my one opportunity to impress or was it just no, no, I love I playing cricket, I just want to bowl? I was excited. I saw like Hustler was there and uh, Whitey was there. Whitey was still playing for Australia and uh, Finchie was up and coming. Maxi was there up and coming, you know. Uh, Sid was there. A lot of superstars there and I was just bowling to them. That, that's the only thing. That's it. I never, even at that time, I never thought, I'm, even for the next whole year, I never thought I'm going to play for Victoria because I was finding a nice job or life, you know, and just playing Hoppers Crossing. That's not even VTCA senior. So, yeah, it was, it was amazing. Even from that time, I just took a day off from work, you know, uh, sick leave and uh, bowling to these guys because they used to train during, uh, still, you know, like full-time job, so they train during the daytime, and I said, look, I'm not going to miss. And just for fun, honestly, not something that I had in my mind that I'm going to play for Vix or for Australia or something like that. So I'm enjoying. I'm going to go, and that's what I have done my whole life, you know. And if I'm just bowling in nets to them, so. But it helped me because I was so familiar to, with everyone. Um, I was kind of part of the, the club as well, and then... When I was going into, I wasn't a stranger, you know. There was not like a nothing new to me. So mm. I made friends for life now, and then it was amazing, you know, to get into the squad and playing there. Yeah. So you almost became like a professional net bowler because not only were you doing it for Victoria, you end up doing it for Australia as well. And Ed Cowan was so impressed with what you were doing. He actually asked Cricket Australia if he could. You know, have this almost like a, a relationship with you because he was worried about Imran Sahir in an upcoming South African series and it kind of helped you, you stay in the country as, it, as you sort of 
went up the grades, even though you weren't playing necessarily, but with what you were doing behind the scenes. Yeah, I think that then that was the turning point of uh, changing a career and especially getting a visa as well. Uh, I think because one of my friends, he used to play with me in Hoppers Crossing, good friend with, um, uh, what was what's the Aussie physio name? The Greek guy, the big one. Uh, Contouris. Yeah, Contouris. So he's a good friend with Contouris and he said, look, we have a good leg spinner. He, can he come and bowl to the Aussies, you know? And I was so pumped. Oh, look, we're <laughs> bowling to Wakes and now bowling to Aussies. And then I went there and I think JL was batting coach at that time as well. And then a few guys asked me, what do you do you here for just for a season? I said, no, I live here permanently. Yeah, I'm here. And then, yeah, bowling there and it was nice. And then when South Africa came in, it says, oh, we don't have any legs. I can't imagine there was no legs within the whole country. <laughs> so, and they says, can you come in? I was my, my Melbourne Uni Club president, Derek Bennett, called me. Uh, First, do you know that you're going to Brisbane uh, to be with Aussies for a week or two? I said, oh, you're kidding me. And I was so excited, you know, called my workplace. I'm, I'm going to play cricket, you know, I'm off. And going to Brisbane, it was amazing. Yeah, a good Good week over there in Brisbane. I bought, I think, pretty well over there as well. And then, yeah, from there it was just and, um, Chloe from from the age. She wrote a story, and then, yeah, it was history. They went bang. Yeah. Yeah. They went whoosh. Yeah. All of a sudden, everyone knew who you were. So while that was going on, it was starting to get a bit. I don't know what, what quite the right word is, but are you going to be able to stay or not? Were you going to be forced to go back home? It was really a dicey time for you. So all this good stuff is happening yeah. to you and then you've got the uh, the political side of things. Yeah. That, how did you cope with that and how perilous, that's probably the word I'm thinking of, that you actually were going to have to go back home? So that was the actual tough time as well, off the field and yeah. when I was playing cricket and um, then start dreaming as well, you know, playing the next <laughs> level as well and then suddenly my visas got refused as well. That says you got 28 days, um, pay your debt, uh, renew your passport. Ex passport was expired, so I didn't even know where is my passport. As I said, it's gone now. And they says, book your flight, and within 28 days, you're going back home. And that was the tough, I think it was September 2011, or no, 2012, September, October, yeah. something like that. It was tough. And then where Melbourne Uni especially and Hopeless Crossing both, they really helped me, and then from there, I think uh, Ricky Ponting helped me as well. I, he was nice actually. First day um, at the at Brisbane, um, we were at Mantra in South Bank, and then he came up to me. He said, "I'm Ricky," and I was just sitting right in the back in the corner, you know, by myself. <laughs> and he says, "Come, come, sit with me." And it was nice of him. He was just asking about family, what was happening in Pakistan, you know. He says, "I heard a lot of news." was reading a newspaper as well and I said, how's your family, how's life back in Pakistan? And then he said, this is my number. And if you need anything, just let me know. And and then after that one week when I came back to Melbourne and then my club president asked me if you can. No, actually the we already uh, applied for the ministerial and, and, and intervention and then they says, if someone can that was the last thing. If someone can tell us he's good enough to play the next level, so we will give you a visa. And then he says straight away, call Ricky. I said, I called him, you know. 
he didn't pick up. Then I sent him a message. He said, he called me back. He said, I will let you know. I thought he's gone. He's not going to get back to me. Then his um, manager, I think, I don't remember who was at that time, he sent me a message and then he sent me a letter. We sent it to the immigration department. The next day I got my permanent residency. It was amazing. He wrote down he's good enough to play the next level. Yeah, he can represent the country and he's good enough. So I think that was enough. And you did. You represented <laughs> your country and you represented your state so many times. So rolling the clock forward a little bit, I'm interested in knowing a bit more about the pressure. So it became a different pressure. It became this pressure of it wasn't Fawad Ahmed the leg spinner, it was Fawad Ahmed the uh, refugee, the asylum yeah. seeker, and then all the pressure that comes with that and all the um, attention, I guess. How did you cope with that? Because all of a sudden there's this pressure of, well, if he's good enough to stay, he must be good enough to play for Australia, let alone play for Victoria. It was tough. My first official training here at the at Junction Oval, we were playing against South Australia, a uh, four-day game and then a one-day game. So I got picked in the team and in a huddle, I had a look around. I said, Foss, how are you going to be fitting in this team? So I'll look around. I think at that time, everyone played for Australia. Currently was playing, someone played in the past as well. I said, when I had a look, there were some big names, like from one to 10, they were all big names. I said, Fast, oh my word, there is some competition there to, to fit in because I, I played first class cricket in Pakistan, but for the next two years did nothing, like just labor job, you know, and it was hard and especially all the media things, you know, and I was still finding my feet, you know, here in, in, here in Australia and massive language barrier as well. But yeah, it, it was tough. Um, I think not at that time, especially after playing sheer cricket and then few one days and after the season when there was more hype about the ashes and going there on A tours. Honestly, I was a bit lost in in all those um, with the media and with interviews going back forth and back to England and South Africa coming back with my citizenship test and this happening, that happening. I think I didn't train much. I didn't focus much on uh, on my bowling at that time. And yeah, it was tough, especially with the media, people talking. I know it was rubbish by saying next chain one, this and that. But I yeah, I bowled really well in the in those three games for Victoria and also in the one day games. I played few I think two, three games against the English Lions as well. That was the first time when I played for Vicks. And then the the Rio B Cup or Matador Cup at that time, and then yeah, few four day games. But it was tough. It was not easy for someone like me who came from the from nowhere and then suddenly playing for Vicks and people talking about playing for Australia. I said, "What's happening?" I was four months ago. I was playing for Hoppers Crossing in the VTCA, <laughs> second division, not even the senior division. So what was it like then as a teammate, a squad member? And the unique, I guess, um, scenario where sometimes, in fact, often there's only one spinner in the team. Yeah. You're, you're the spinner. Um, this guy that you've just seen bowl with the, the chinos and the and the shirt at training, all of a sudden he's a teammate. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. Well, sitting back being a spinner as well, I was like, who is this bloke? Like, <laughs> I'd just done my time behind Bryce and I thought, well, here I am. You know, it's my spot. Um, I was coming back from a shoulder injury, and then, but then to have Fuzz around, he fitted in the group so well. 
Um, you know, he's got a great personality. He's got a, you know, he's a great character around the group. So I think he just fitted in so well. Um, obviously, his talent spoke for itself. He, he did a great job bowling for Victoria. Um, won a lot of games for Victoria, bowling his leg spin. So you know, it was it was just a great great thing that was happening. I think um, not just the, the cricket side of it, but the the life side of it as well. That that the country that he was led into the country and you know and to do what he did with all that going on in the background, it's you know, it's a great achievement. Two hundred and five first class wickets. You must be pretty proud of that. That's a lot of wickets. Yeah, well, from playing yeah, Hoppers Cross in yeah, second well, division. Yeah, <laughs> especially like uh, I wasn't expecting to be playing cricket anymore, and especially on the back of on duck comments, you know, like getting into the squad and finding my feet there uh, to be the part of the kind of a family. I still, I still got those uh, WhatsApp groups as well. So honestly, I goes through all the photos and messages. You know, very funny the the player group. And we, we got a lot of banter. I was watching some of the pictures from the Dago the other day. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> some, yeah, and, I, and especially sharing my, my life, my culture. I'm not saying they, but people don't know much here in Australia, especially sharing my, like, I, I do remember, maybe he doesn't remember, but they were asking a lot of questions in the, in the start of my career. So what is this? What is it? Because... I know I'm not I'm not blaming media media for this, but I, I think whatever people watch here in these days on on their phone or on their TV, that's what they believe. But the actual thing is completely different. So, and then they realize about the even the food and the, the prayers, and and then they find out about the Ramadan, and they say, oh, you don't you're not gonna eat, you're not gonna drink, and you're still gonna play. I went on the Ashes tour there, even when I went to England a couple of times, or in South Africa as well. Both times I was playing for Australia, and then yeah, actually a good story from uh, Finchie as well. He was captain in South Africa, and we were batting, I think, unbelievably yuck. There was flat wicket, and, and I asked him, you know, Finchie, if you are batting all day, I think we were one down or two down, and then I'm going to fast. And if you are fielding, I'm going to skip it, you know, and then I will keep it later on because I'm traveling. We got like the little bit relaxation, you know. He said, fast now, fast, fast. We're not going to, we're going to bet all day. Lunchtime, <laughs> he declared. And then the next two sessions, I literally bowled more than 20 hours while fasting. And I know um, David Warner was there. He was uh, angry at him as well. I said, what? What have you done, mate, to me? <laughs> so it's, it's tough. And, but it was amazing to share my culture, my religion with them, you know, and it's just a knowledge, you know, to know it's almost a million people lives here, they they follow the the same religion and a lot of people from my background as well. So next time someone comes about the, at, at least they you know, first time it was hard for me to find a halal food as well here, especially in while traveling. I remember uh, went to Tazi, still hard to find it in Tazi. But <laughs> in Hobart I just ate fruits and veggies, yeah. Alice there was Springs. no made nothing. Yeah, Alex Springs pretty hard as well. Uh, <laughs> good story there, Alex Spring. I think Alex Spring was pretty good for. Uh, I think that was the highlight of my career with Duck. We were where we both played really well together. I think it was amazing. There's two spinners bowling a lot of overs and winning. Uh, he was taking five in one innings. I was taking in in other innings. It was amazing. Uh, I remember Alex Spring. Uh, blessing in disguise because we wanted to play at the MCG. But I think it was a good turning point for both of us to play together where he played 
from their test cricket as well. It was amazing. Honestly, I personally rate him really, really high the way he bowls, you know, and I I really enjoyed my time with Duck, you know, on the field, especially at Springs and at Adelaide where we played a lot of games there. So both of you talk about that whole thing of we talk <coughs> often about batting partnerships. Um, we just saw a massive one last week with, with Peter Hanscom and also with Sam Harper, but bowling partnerships aren't often spoken about the same way. How did you guys work together to become a successful combination? What was the secret to your success? Oh, I think just like the, the quicks, you sort of just had to do it from both ends. I think like Fuzz was had such great control that there was never really any pressure on me to as a finger spinner to try and hold from one end. So I think we were both, you know, putting pressure on the batsman all the time, especially when we got on wickets that suited us. We were, you know, we worked really well together. I think um, also as soon as you got into the to the lower order batters with fuzz with his variations, he just like you knew straight away that they they weren't going to last long. So it just it sort of took a lot of pressure off off each of us. I think having another spinner there, you just didn't, you know, you weren't heavily relied on, especially on that last day. So I think it was just, you know, it was. It was really enjoyable to to play with another spinner as well, bowling lots of overs together, and and you never went overtime either, which was a plus. It was always good we'd finish the overs on time. So, no, it was it was really exciting time at Victoria, and we had such a successful time as well when when Fuzz was around. I think he would have played in three or four Shield finals. So, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, even I would just add on something like having someone really good in your squad. I think it's make you better. So we fought for the first few years, rather playing together later on in Alice Spring, but we, you hardly played two spinners. We did play here, uh, here at the MCG and around the country as well together, but I think it's really pushed you hard to work harder because we were fighting. We were kind of a Tom and Jerry. I'm, I don't know who's Tom and who's Jerry, but yeah, uh, after each other, because there's only one spot, especially in, in a country like Australia. But... Alice Spring happens. It was nice we, where we can play both together and winning games for the for the weeks. But yeah, it, it does make it um, make a massive difference if you have a good spinner in your team because that's what push you harder. You might get relaxed sometime and you might lose, you know, whatever you have. You know, you feel relaxed or oh, I'm good enough. I got the spot, you know. But again, if someone is just sitting there and if you don't bowl well, he come. So we. And throughout the career, a lot of time I got dropped, he played, he got dropped, I played. And then they let, later on, you know, when I moved on more with the whiteboard, he played regularly. I, I still got sneak in the last year, you know, played two, three games. But I think you were injured, yeah? That, that, or yeah you, no, 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 you went away. on the, you went to South Africa. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, it's it's just, um, I think, so good to play with a, with a really good spinner um, alongside, you know. On the field as well, if you are both in the squad, I think it still helps, you know, to 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 help you to work hard and play well and get your sport back. We haven't got much more time. I'm conscious of time. There's so many more questions I want to ask. But you mentioned that Shane Warne dream to be like him in northwest Pakistan and then you got to spend time with him. How much time did you spend with him? What sort of influence did he have on you and what was that experience like? I think amazing. The first time when I met him, it was Sam in the netballing session for Melbourne Star at the MCG, and uh, I was bowling with him in the same nets. And yeah, I didn't even say hi to him. I thought he might don't even respond. You know, Shane Warne. I was I was still pinching myself, and I bowled really well. To I think Wadey was batting at that time, and he came up to me. He says, "I'm I'm Shane." 
And I was so bummed. I said, yes. And then um, after the session, I asked him, any tips? And he said, you got everything. And he just simply said, bowl 300 balls every day if you want to play from that day. So Tuesday, Thursday, training with clubs during the week, training with them. But mostly Monday, Wednesday, Friday, going to nets on my own, bowling 300 balls. And it helped me. Um, I think um, I hardly bowled bad balls throughout my careers, you know, like it's just it's something you can get, like some of the things you can't get. Like if, I, if I'm saying I can get the same amount of revs Shane Warne and McGill produce, it's just kind of a natural thing. But yeah, the control, it can come with the hard work. You know, learning different varieties is still easy. But some of the, like if someone is bowling 130, and if he work hard, you know, like really working hard, he can't get to 150. It's just a natural thing, you know. So, but yeah, that really helps me bowling a lot of posts, a lot of training with the three different teams. And there was a really good advice. Then later on, I had a few more sessions with him. Uh, it's very sad he's not here. Uh, even other day, it's on the social media. Time to time, you see the videos, people uploading. You hear his voice. I know he's, he wasn't playing anymore, but on the commentary box, he was a little bit different from everyone. <laughs> uh, very opinionated, but was king. He could, he could have said anything, you know, about anyone. But, yeah, it's sad we're not going to hear his voice this summer. Anna is going to be completely different, but it is what it is. We can't control. Um, but, yeah, I had an amazing few sessions with them, and I was, I felt really lucky and privileged to uh, to meet him in person as well. And did you feel, you mentioned it before about feeling the pressure of being the next Shane Warne. Does, does that, and it's probably to you, John, as well, as being, you know, <laughs> There's almost this expectation, oh, the spinner, he'll just get it done on the final day. He'll spin into the rough and they'll spin them to victory. Now, you did it a number of times. Oh, I, I remember out here at Junction Oval doing it against New South Wales when all seemed lost. You got your wrong and going and away it went. How, how did you f- cope with that pressure? Yeah, it, because the expectation make it really hard and, you know, people expect from you and you don't deliver and then you think uh, modern-day cricket, everyone watching on their phones or on telly and people following a lot, so you don't perform and then you go i know it's hard to resist these days you know you're definitely going on social media next day use people used to uh um, uh, tell you that uh, don't go uh, don't read newspaper don't watch news you know if you don't play well but it's completely different now it's the first thing you check your whatsapp or your twitter or your instagram you know it's pretty hard or facebook and then you see people uh roasting you as well and and it's tough, you know, to, to take some criticism because people don't understand, you know, how uh, it's hard to perform all the time. You know, if you look on some of the greats of the game, like Ricky Ponting or Tendulkar, you know, the amount of the games they played, but the amount of 150s they make, comparison, they played only few few months, a few months of good cricket in their whole career, but they're one of the greats and that's how it works, you know. So it was tough. You know, to take that pressure, it's not easy, especially when there is expectation you have to perform well. But if you are in the, in somewhere in the, you know, like uh, uh, not so much uh, on the media or in, and you just came from nowhere and then it's easier, you know, like in the start of my career, the people didn't knew that and I was just enjoying my cricket, it was easier. Then you start learning things that people know about you as well. 
their plan about you as well, then it's getting harder and harder. Yeah. Did you feel that? Do you feel just even in general, not so much the Shane Warne situation, but there's rough outside uh, off stump to the left-handed. John, go and win the game for us. I think yeah, it's definitely um, it's a challenge. It's a different skill set as well. I think um, you don't really get to do it when you're a junior cricketer or or mm. even in club cricket. You, the time, the amount of times you play on a wearing pitch with foot marks is very rare, especially in Australia as well. So I think when you know it gets to day four and they just expect you to do it, it's it's definitely tough, but. It's also something you can train for, like Fuzz said, he bowls 300 balls a day. It's, you know, I think as a spinner you need to be bowling a lot and even if it's by yourself you can put a cone where the, where the rough is even if there isn't rough there. So in a game you know you can, you've done it before and you can go back to it because I think it is, it's definitely a different challenge than just bowling normally on a good wicket and um, you know, it's something that you're expected to do and do well on day four and you know, it can be challenging but it's definitely rewarding when, when it goes your way. All right, the, the last question I've got for you, Farwood, is you, you played for Australia, played a handful of one-day internationals and T20 games, but it just felt like when you played for Victoria you were going home. Did you feel that? Yeah, always, yeah. I, I was lucky because I had a uh, the best, of, um, best time of my career here in Victoria, part of the four, uh, four uh, sheer uh, winning teams, uh, Played three finals, missed out on the last one, but it's a one Matador Cup as well, one day cup. So I had an amazing time here. Uh, it was always good to come back here. Uh, different feeling when you play for Australia is completely different. I know it's, it's an absolute honour to play for a country, duck play test cricket as well. But here you are more family. You, we live in the same same city. We we live we like 12 months a year. We're all together. So it's completely different for Australia I know they're still teammates, they they countrymen, they get together from all different states, but we knew that he's from New South Wales. <laughs> so <laughs> we always, but yeah, we, we support each other here. It's a different story. Um, I, I got my, as I said, my second chance, like I was reborn here. Uh, and that's why I felt it like Melbourne is going to be always home. Uh, I am so humbled to call it home as well. And yeah, it's always good to play here. Uh, I still I miss it honestly um, to be the part of especially um, the dressing room culture as well. We I got roast all the time. Uh, I still miss them. I I told them I'm gonna be message. I'm gonna be missing there because they used to give me a lot of tough time. Uh, Doug got an amazing sense of humor. He was one of my favorite in the team as well. Honestly, uh, but yeah, we have we have such an amazing group of boys. You know, we we had good time because we were winning uh, for four or five years in a row and it it was great memories. I got a lot of photos and videos and chats in my phone and I'll go through. It It makes me, trust me, in the bed or at 1 a.m. in the morning, can't sleep, go through this, make me smile and put me to sleep, yeah. Now, I ask all our guests either at the start or the end of the interview, why is Victorian cricket so special to you? And you've answered that already. But do you ever sit and sometimes think, what if I didn't ask Simon Helmet if I could bowl? Do you ever think that? Because that's a life-changing decision moment in your life. Proud of myself that I went to Helmut and asked him, you know, if I can bowl. So, you know, because I'm not that brave enough, you know, I would always sit back and, you know, wait for everyone to go through and then I would might or might not, you know, that's, I'm that kind of person, you know, I'm not going to, take initiative, you know, anywhere, but 
it's, I think it just got in my head and was a life-changing moment, you know. And I think it's just happened uh, in the heat of the time. And I was, I think I was, I was more excited, <coughs> excuse me, to be at the MCG and uh, bowling to these boys, you know. When I had a look around, there were so many big names around and I thought, let's go, give it a go. And yeah, sure. it works. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I played uh, with uh, Helmo a lot now. Uh, coaching, you know, under his coaching. So recently in, in Caribbean Premier League last year as well. So, yeah, it's it's amazing when I was thinking and I was talking to him, yeah, look where I came from. Do you knew that, like, we're going to be playing together in Caribbean in 10 years' time? It's amazing, yeah. It's, uh, so, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, when I, when I, when I'm thinking about, you know, the, those moments, um, it, great memories and I feel proud and very, very uh, grateful and thankful, yeah. Thank you for coming in and sharing your story. I know you've shared it before, but uh, for here, uh, us here today, it's been very special. Thank no, you very much for, for coming me. in. Thanks for awesome. Thank you, Doc. And thank you for coming in. Oh, Make sure me. you get yourself back on the park and playing some shield cricket before, before the big bash break. I'll try my best. And a bit of golf as well. And plenty of golf. That's it for us for this week. Uh, I know it's a bit of a, a longer episode, but it's a big story, a long story and a, and a fantastic story, sharing it with uh, Fawad Ahmed and also John Holland today. We'll catch you again next time.